Galatians chapter 1, and we'll uh, go through 11 through 24, and then we'll cover chapter 2, verses 1 through uh, 10. So as most of you know, we're going through the book of Galatians, and we're just kind of going through it verse by verse and passage by passage, and so we've been in it about a month, and so this is where we are. This is Paul writing uh, to the churches of Galatia, and he said this, he said, For I would have you know, brothers that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, which is Peter, and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in, in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Now, this may seem a little odd to some of you that Paul, uh, you remember, let, let's go back, just to take a step back real quick and, and make sure we understand where we are. Paul has gone throughout the Roman province of Galatia and he's established several churches, right? And he's delivered the gospel, the gospel of faith, the gospel of grace to these churches. And then he's gone on to other areas. Now, but once he left, what happened is, some people from Jerusalem came up and said, no, you know what, the gospel that Paul gave you, that's not quite right. That you have to add more to it. It's not just about faith or just about grace. You've got, if you're not circumcised, you have to be circumcised. You have to obey the Jewish feast. You have to do all these other things. In other words, what he's saying is you have to add works to grace if you want to be truly uh, saved. And so uh, that's, you know, that's what this letter is all about. So it may seem odd that Paul is writing and he says, and he just goes into this big uh, uh, historical thing that happened to him. He starts telling about what happened to him and how he went up to Jerusalem. Does that seem a little odd? You would think he would just dive right in and start talking about grace and start talking about faith. It just seems a little bit odd that he would start giving this uh, this long biographical passage uh, about himself. But here's the thing that we need to keep in mind. In order to, remember these people come into the churches, it'd be like, it'd be like if Henry left and then we, we get a new pastor and he comes in and he starts saying, you know what, what Henry was telling you, it was close to right, but it wasn't quite the thing. In order to make, in other words, he starts giving you a different version of the gospel. Well, in order to do that, they would have to discredit Henry, would they not? They would have to say, well, there was something wrong with Pastor Henry. His education wasn't quite right, or he had been given the wrong message. That's exactly what these guys have to do. When they come into the churches, in order to make their gospel of work stick, 
and to make their gospel be accepted, uh, they have to discredit Paul's gospel. And in order to discredit Paul's gospel, they have to discredit who? They have to discredit Paul. And that's exactly what they're doing. And so you have to kind of read between the lines here what Paul is doing. See, what they're, they were coming in and saying that, hey, this Paul, he wasn't one of the original disciples. He didn't walk with Jesus for three years. He, 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 didn't, he didn't, you know, live with Jesus and, 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 and eat with Jesus and do all that. He learned his gospel secondhand. So you kind of have to read between the lines what's going on here. So what they're saying is he learned his gospel secondhand from the original apostles. And so his gospel's just a little bit off. Okay? In other, in other words, he's not the, he doesn't have the authority of the original apostles. Everybody with me? That's how they're going to try to discredit um, him. And so these people who we will call Judaizers from now on, they've gone out to these churches and they're going to set them straight. And their message is this. Paul may claim to be an apostle, apostle but he's not really a true apostle. Okay? He, he may claim to preach the true gospel, but he doesn't have it quite right. We actually, the Judaizers are saying, we have it right. We're going to give you the true gospel. So this is the situation that Paul is dealing with. He's dealing with a group of people who are coming in and trying to discredit him and trying to discredit his authority and trying to discredit uh, his, um, his, his message. So put yourself in Paul's place. You're writing this letter back to the church and you want to let them know that yes, you are a true apostle and yes, your gospel is the true gospel. So how are you going to do that? Right? By the way, they don't, have, they don't have DVRs. They can't, you know, nobody was there on the road to Damascus with a cell phone saying, hold that pose, Paul. You're blinded, right? Let me take a picture. You know, they didn't have any of that back then, right? Nobody was there to record it. So how in the world is he going to prove to them and show them that yes I'm a true apostle and yes my message is true how's he going to do that well the way he's going to do it is you'll see first of all the start of his argument in verses 11 and 12 he's going to lay it out first this he says I'm going to have you know brothers that the gospel that was preached by me it didn't come from any man it didn't come second hand I didn't get it I didn't go to Jerusalem and and they give it to me uh, that way for I didn't receive it from any man, but I, nor was I taught it, but I received it. Now watch what he's saying, directly through a revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, I received the gospel exactly the same way that the original apostles did. Jesus Christ himself came to me and he gave it to me. Okay? Now, so what he's doing here is he's arguing for his authority and he's arguing for the truth of his gospel. And I'll show you how he's going to do that here in just a, a minute. Now, before we move on, though, I'm going to bring up a subject, and I'm going to end with it today as well. And that is the, 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 the fact that truth matters. What you're going to have today is you're going to have two different people with two different Gospels. And, and they get presented to the people, right? Everybody, that's exactly what's going on. And the people have to decide well, which one's true, right? Is it these guys? Are they telling the truth? Or is it this guy? Is he telling the truth? Is it a gospel of grace or is it a gospel of works? They have to decide. And see, the fact is, what we need to understand right off the bat is that truth always matters. Okay? There are two messages vying for our allegiance. So what Paul is doing right off the bat is he's forcing upon us 
the issue of truth. And that's, that's a real lesson for us in the church today. I stress this because I don't care where you go in our culture today. Everybody's got an opinion, don't they? Open up the newspapers, open up the magazines. Every guy, everybody's got an opinion about what's going to make your life better. But what you hardly ever see is people going back and talking about the truth of their opinions. They're just, everybody's got an opinion, right? You know, you, and, and every study you read is different, right? Coffee will kill you, coffee will save your life. I mean, just it matters which week you read the article, right? I mean, it's constantly, but the point here is that truth matters. It's not just about people's opinions. In fact, we live in a world where there's so many opinions, opinion after opinion after opinion after opinion, the fact is, is that when, when people don't really talk about truth anymore, it kind of gives us the idea or it breeds the idea into us that truth may not really matter. But the fact is, it absolutely does. In fact, when was the last time you've heard someone try to defend their opinion based on truth? You just don't really see it anymore, do you? Um, because the fact is, the world doesn't really believe in absolute truth anymore. Our culture doesn't. Um, you know, if you take away the Bible, by the way, there, there is no truth. It's just, it's just opinions. And that's what everybody's trying to do is take away the, the Bible. But it must not be so among the people of God. For us, the question of truth uh, does matter, and it matters uh, very terribly. We are, the, we are the light of the world. Why are we the light of the world? Because we care about truth. If you don't care about truth, you're not the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth if you care about truth. You don't care about truth, uh, you're, not, you're, not, you're not very salty, are you? So again, what Paul's bringing up here right off the bat is it's all about um, truth. So let's go back to Paul. So do you see his predicament? There's two opinions being thrown up here. Which one is true? There's two stories being told. Which one is true? See, that's his predicament. Who's to say, by the way, whether his gospel... Or the Judaizers' gospel is the right one. I mean, how do the people know? You know, Paul comes and says, I've seen Jesus. And, and then those guys from Jerusalem come down and say, we're coming from Peter, James, and John. I mean, the people are sitting there thinking, what are we, what's, which one's right here? Okay? So what Paul's going to do is force them to, to truth. So how's Paul going to tackle this? How's he going to prove that his gospel is the right one? How's he going to prove that he is... Uh, a, a true authority is, does he just throw it out there and say guys look I'm tired of messing with you y'all just figure it out on your own I got other churches to go establish no what he's going to do is he's going to make his case for the truth of the gospel and this is how he's going to do it he's going to state his case by showing how the gospel has fundamentally changed him even to the point of changing his very identity see we said when we started it seems kind of odd that he just throws out this biographical story, right? But the fact is, he's doing much more than that. What he's doing is he was saying, I was this person, and, I, and something happened to me, and now I'm this person. Okay? And so what, what follows is the longest autobiographical passage in Paul's writings. But keep in mind, he's not doing it out of ego. He's not doing it to say, look how great I was, and look at all the sacrifices I've made. He's doing it to explain, to explain how the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel of grace, has, has impacted his life to the point that it's actually changed who he was, or who he, who he is. So, as we said earlier, he states his initial case in verses 11 through 12. He says, I'd have you know, brothers, 
The gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel, for I didn't receive it from any man, but I was, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, he stakes the truth of his gospel on the fact that the risen Christ appeared to him and commissioned him personally. Everybody see that? So he says, Jesus told me this. Now let me ask you, how many people do you think in the past 2,000 years have said, Jesus told me this? Millions of them. Listen to me, that's easy to say. In fact, tons of false teachers have, have misled people through that very same statement. Man, I went in a room, I had a vision, Jesus appeared to me, and here it is. And people buy into it, hook, line, and sinker. It's not enough for him just to say, Jesus appeared to me and gave me the gospel. He's got to prove it. Everybody with me? Prove to me that that, that, that happened. So th that's the point here. How do we know it's true? So watch what he does uh, next. So he starts out in verses 13 and 14 by recounting how anti-Christian he was before his conversion. Look what he says in verse 13. For, that word for is a connecting word. It means because. He's saying, I got this message from Jesus Christ. And then he uses the <coughs> word for. He said, now let me prove it to you. So he says this, For you heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. In Acts 9, we get a, a, a little snippet of that uh, a time in Paul's life when he was still called Saul. It said, Then Saul, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So the fact was, he wanted to, he wanted to kill them, right? He was torturing them. He was, he was there at, when they stoned Stephen. He was the a young man, and he held the clothes of the, of the people who were stoning Stephen. So he was persecuting the church of Christ, even to the point of going and finding Christians, throwing into the jails, and making sure to see that they were executed. That's who he was. Everybody with me? That's what he's saying. Um, secondly, he points out that not only was he anti-Christian to the point of wanting to kill him, he was one of the most rigorous Pharisees of his day. Look at verse 14. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the tradition for my fathers. What he's saying is, do you see who I was? I was a Jew. I was a Pharisee. In fact, not only was I a Jew and a Pharisee, I was a zealot. I was zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So much to the point that if you went against my religion, I'd kill you. He was a terrorist of his day. Everybody with me? That's what he was. He was the terrorist of his day. He was so zealous for his religion that he would kill for it. Y'all see what he's doing here? He's saying, you want to know my gospel's true? Look at who I was. Okay? Now, he goes on. And by the way, if Paul, Paul was a, if, if there was ever a type A personality, it was Paul. He didn't do anything halfway. He was all about detail. He was highly motivated. He was task-oriented. He didn't approach anything half-heartedly. When he was a Pharisee, he was a Pharisee. When he was a Jew, he was a Jew. All the way, completely uh, sold out. He knew how to obey the rules. He knew how to perform and conform to Jewish law. And in fact, his own words said that he was uh, zealous about it. In fact, that's why he hated Christianity so much because Christianity said, no, salvation is by faith through grace alone. And that destroyed everything he believed. 
He said, no, you gotta, you got to obey these laws. you got to perform these rules and rituals. And, and so what you're teaching destroys my faith. So I'm, he was so zealous about Judaism that he said, I'll kill you if, you if you preach this. So to him, his identity, his very existence of who he was, uh, was at stake. So he lashed out at Christians uh, with all his might, even to the point of becoming violent in defense of his religion. Now... The question is, why is he telling the Galatians all of this stuff? What's the point of these ugly truths? Okay, Again, because if there was anyone who would ever be inclined to add performance to grace, it would be Paul. Because he was all about performance before he met Jesus. He was all about rituals and, and laws and obligations and doing all these things and and, and dotting the I's and crossing the T. He was a Pharisee. If there had been anyone who was, who was zealous about their religion, it was Paul. So if anyone, if there was ever a person whose background dictated against them becoming the apostle of grace, it was Paul. Isn't that, isn't that crazy how God works? Let me just find the one guy out here who would never preach grace. Oh, there he is. Right? <laughs> That guy would never preach grace. That's you, Paul. He picked the one guy that was so opposite grace and everybody knew him. Everybody was scared of him because he was anti-grace. He was all about work, all about performing. And God says, I, I pick him to do it, right? So it, it took a radical action of divine intervention to change him, okay? Because that's not who he, that's not who he was. So the reason Paul describes his pre-conversion life is to show them how utterly improbable it is that he could ever have been lured into the ranks of the apostles by any human effort. The idea that they could convince Paul to join them, that's, that's to him, that was ridiculous. The apostles were his arch enemies. So he's gone from persecutor to preacher. He's gone from one ready to kill Christians to one ready to be killed as a Christian, right? Um, he's gone from one who heard in the Christian message a threat to everything he stood for to one who now had a vision of the gospel that changed his very identity as a person. And that's what he wants them to see. So what happened? And, you know, how do you account for a change? That's the question he wants the Galatians to be asking themselves. Man, what, what changed this guy? Is, was this a work of man or was this a work of God? Did the apostle somehow just convince him to switch sides? Or did God fundamentally go in and do something inside of his, his heart? So that's what's going on uh, right here. Now, to Paul, the answer should be obvious. Paul argues that there's only one adequate, adequate explanation of how he came to devote his life to the Christ he hated and how he came to preach a gospel that overturned... Okay, I'll call you. Um, so watch what he says in verses 15 to 16. He says, in other words, they should be asking the question right now, okay, how did he change? And look what he says in verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles... Paul says, you want to know how this happened? God called me. God did something. Now, 
Paul before had been talking about himself, who he was and what he has done. Now he switches over to talk about God. He's saying it's no accident, it's no incident of fortuitous luck uh, that transformed me into a preacher of the gospel of grace. He's saying God called me, God set me apart when I was in my mother's womb to do the thing that I'm uh, doing today. By the way, this was something that was very common. The Jews believed Isaiah 49 one says, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from my womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. Jeremiah, the one we all know, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you as a prophet to the nations. Like Isaiah and Jeremiah before him, Paul believed that God could select an individual and call that person while they were still in their mother's womb in order to be a prophet or a messenger or a speaker for him. And Paul said, just as he did for Isaiah, just as he did for Jeremiah, he did that to me. He set me apart, called me uh, by his grace. Listen, on the road to Damascus, was Paul looking for Jesus? No. What was he going to Damascus for? He's going to kill Christians. That's what he was going there for. Acts 26, 13 through 18 recounts that story. Uh, Paul is actually later in Acts, he's been brought before King Agrippa. And King Agrippa says, speak for yourself, Paul. Tell me, tell me why you're here. And he says this, he, he begins to recount the story. And he says, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a service, a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The fact is, God himself did this thing in Paul's life. And that's what he wants the Galatians to see. You know, we understand this, right? Every um, effect has a cause. That's just a, that's just a rule in life. For Paul to change, something had to happen to him. Right, And what Paul is saying here is that he's, he's arguing to explain the change from his pre-conversion persecution to his post-conversion passion for the gospel. And he's saying it, this was not a work of man, it was a work of God himself. In other words, the only thing that could explain that kind of change is the true gospel and a true revelation from, from Jesus Christ. By the way, Notice, and we'll come back to this later in Galatians, notice what he called him to preach, what Paul says. It says, But when he who set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach, what? Yeah. Him. And don't ever miss this about the gospel. Okay, I think, and we're going to get into this a lot deeper later in Galatians, but the gospel is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the gospel, right? Paul wasn't called to preach some new idea or some new theology or some new way to believe. He was called to preach the man Jesus Christ, right? Uh, and again, I put that in there. Jesus plus nothing, that's everything. You don't add anything to him. You don't take anything away from him. 
Jesus is the gospel. And the gospel is, is Jesus. In fact, those two things are so intertwined. Look at the scriptures that Jesus says here. John 17, 17. Jesus says, is praying and He says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So what's He talking about here? He's talking about the Bible, right? He's talking about the Word of God. He said, this is the truth. Is it not? Absolutely. But then in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the what? So which is it? Is Jesus the truth or is His Word the truth? It's the same. That's exactly right. It's both. You can't separate them. You try to, you try to operate in this Word apart from Jesus, you've missed it. You try to operate in Jesus apart from the Word, you've missed it. You can't. They, they are so, they're the same. They're together. Well, you go back to John 1.1, 1, 1, Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Word. That's exactly right. You go back to John, ugh, I'm going to miss it now. I think it's John 8.31. That's probably wrong. But Jesus said, if you're truly my disciples, you'll abide in what? In my Word. In other words, you abide in me, you abide in my Word. You can't say, I love Jesus. And, you, and John said this. You say, you say you love Jesus and you don't obey, do what he said, you're a liar. They are so intertwined together. So the gospel is Jesus. It's not a group of words or ideas. You can't separate it. It's him. It's all about, that's why Paul says he called me to preach him. And that's why this is so important because that's why distorting or changing the gospel is such a big deal because when you do that, you make it about something other than Jesus. You see, you got the gospel sitting here. Jesus, you try to add something to it, you, you've basically taken, you said Jesus is not enough. It's about, I need more than Jesus. And you've destroyed the gospel. You've destroyed the good news. Okay? And that makes it, that makes it worthless. Now, let's look at what happened next. In order to make his case further, right? Paul says, I was a killer. I was a persecutor. I was a Pharisee. I was a zealot. And God called me. God changed me. Now, I want you to watch what he says happened next in verses 16 through 19. He says, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. And I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, again, read between the lines. Remember what the Judaizers are saying? They're saying he, got, he didn't get his gospel from Jesus. He got his gospel secondhand from the apostles. In other words, he went up to Jerusalem. He talked to the apostles. They gave it to him. But he, when he went away, he forgot some of the things they said or he misconstrued it. But somehow or another, he didn't get it right. Paul's saying, that's not what happened at all, guys. Once he appeared to me, I didn't go consult with anybody. I didn't go talk to Peter or James and John. Uh, in fact, I didn't go to Jerusalem. I went into Arabia. Arabia, by the way, is across the uh, Sea of Tiberias. If you look at the map, the Sea of Galilee, on the, on the eastern side, that's Arabia. What would be Jordan today in that area up north there? That was what was called Arabia back then. He said, I went into Arabia. I came back to Damascus. And then after how many years? So three years, he's on his own. Doesn't talk to any disciples, doesn't talk to any of the apostles, none of them. He's, a, he's just on his own. Is Cephas the same as Peter? Cephas the same as Peter. Okay. That's right, he calls him Cephas, but uh, that's the same as Peter. So then he says, after three years have gone by, three years of, of personal whatever he's doing, 
I mean, we don't, he doesn't tell us exactly what was going on those three years. He says, after three years, then I went to Jerusalem, but I only stayed how long? I only stayed 15 days. And while I was there, I saw Peter and James. I didn't see anybody else. Those are the only two that I, that I saw. Now, watch what he's saying. Paul's wanting them to understand, I wasn't taught this by men because I didn't go up there and meet any of them. In fact, three years went by before I even went, and when I went, I only stayed two weeks, and I only saw two of them. So his point is, is that three years of meditation and ministry on his own, followed by a mere 15-day visit to Peter and James, cannot possibly support the Judaizers' contention that he was a second-hand apostle or disciple of the Jerusalem apostles. He's saying, that's just not the way it was, guys. Okay? The point is, he was an independent witness. What he learned, he learned from Jesus himself, not with any interaction with the apostles in Jerusalem. In fact, he even adds more to this. He says, In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. After the 15 days, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. In other words, he's saying, Even after the 15 days that I met with Peter and, and James... I immediately left and I went into Syria and Cilicia, which is way north. Okay? And I was unknown to the churches of Judea. Now, this is why he says that. See, the point is, if I had stayed in Jerusalem, if I had been an understudy of the apostles in Jerusalem, don't you think the churches in Judea would have known me? Wouldn't I have been working in the churches in Jerusalem and in that Judean? Sure I would. They would have known me. But the fact is, they don't know me. They've heard of me. They're scared to death of me, right? But nobody, they don't know me because I didn't spend time there. I was only in Jerusalem for, for two weeks. So he's saying for all of those reasons, the story that those Judaizers are telling you, he said, that, that story's wrong. That's, that's an invalid story. I did not get this gospel secondhand. And you can see that the gospel itself has changed me, fundamentally changed my identity uh, and, and who I am. So again, he gives them evidence, which by the way, they could check out. They could go, they could talk, go to, if they want to go to Jerusalem and meet with James and, and Peter and John and say, hey, is this story true? They would say, absolutely it's true. So he's giving them evidence they could check out and, and um, so he makes a compelling case that his amazing turn from persecutor to apostle can only be explained by a revelation and a commission from Jesus Christ. And so he's established, look, I didn't get this from man. I got it from Jesus himself, and look what it's done to me. It has changed who I fundamentally am. Now, I want you to put yourself for a minute in the place of the Galatians. Paul has just told you this story. And you've met Paul, and you've seen Paul, right? And you know... This guy changed from that to that. By the way, does anybody know anybody that's been fundamentally changed? You know anybody? That you knew them before and you knew them after? Is there not more proof of the gospel than that person? I got one person in my mind that I know, that I knew him before and I know him now. And I think, man, you know, we see so many people cycle through churches and make professions of faith. And walk away. Sometimes don't you think, man, is the gospel saving anybody anymore? But then I look at this person I know and I think, yep, that's the real deal right there. You see, that's what he wants them to see. They, they knew the gospel had changed him. Right? And so he gives this evidence. Now, I want you to put yourself in their place, though. Now they got another problem. See, Paul's made a case 
and his, he's reestablished his credibility in their minds. But now this brings up another question. Well, is there a contradiction between Paul and the apostles in Jerusalem? Do we have two Gospels being taught in the church? By the way, if we've got two Gospels being taught in the church, what's, what's the future of the church? It's going to crumble. Right? A house divided itself cannot stand. So we got a real problem. Paul says, I got the true Gospel. But then these other guys are coming from Jerusalem and saying, no, we got the true gospel. And they think, well, Paul looks real because it changed him. And we know he got it from somewhere other than them. He's proven that. But what, what's going on? Everybody see the... So now Paul's got a real problem. Okay? He's, he showed his authority and he showed the truth of, of his gospel. But the question is, do we have men of equal authority preaching two different gospels? Can you imagine how bad it would be as much as you trust Pastor Henry and he's preached to you year after year after year and then there's another preacher somewhere that you trust and that person comes in and begins to say something. When you hear two men of God doing two different things, isn't that a little disconcerting? That's very disconcerting. And so Paul, now he's got to deal with that. Okay, So... Again, the Judaizers claim to represent the apostles in Jerusalem, but now their message don't square with Paul's. So even when the question of Paul's authority is settled, another question looms up. Is there disunity among the apostles? And now Paul's got to deal with that. So in Galatians 2, let's turn there, verses 1 through 10, Paul's got to deal with this question, and he's got to do it very carefully. Because he doesn't want to trash the apostles, does he? No, he's got to stay separate from them to show that he's not a second-hand apostle, but at the same time, he's got to show that they agree. So he's got to be very careful about how... Now, I want you to walk through how he does this. So this is what he says. By the way, remember, he three years, he goes to Jerusalem. He stays there how long? 15 days, he leaves, and then he says this. Then after 14 years, I went back. He's been going a long time. Okay. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or I had not run in vain. Now, let me show you a couple things about these verses. Paul did not go to Jerusalem because he had... When he, notice what he says. I went up to make sure I was not running in vain. Okay, I want, first thing I want to point out is this. Paul is not going to Jerusalem because he had second thoughts about the gospel of grace. That's not why he's going up. In fact, by the way, if he was doing that, he'd have played right into the hands of the Judaizers, right? Because that's what they were saying. It's not about grace. Um, that's not why he went up. In fact, he says, I went up by what? Revelation. In other words, Jesus himself told me to go up. So 14 years later, he's, Jesus himself is still giving him revelation. He's still telling him uh, what he's supposed to do. He, remember he said, my purpose was to confirm that I had not run in vain. By the way, if he had gone to Jerusalem and the, the, the apostles there were preaching a different gospel than he was preaching... He understood, man, all the work I've been doing is in vain because he knew the church could not stand on two separate Gospels. The reason he went to Jerusalem was to make sure the apostles there were preaching the same Gospel that he's preaching. He's not having second thoughts about his Gospel. 
he goes up to make sure they're preaching the same gospel that he's preaching. Remember, 14 years have gone by. He's pretty separate from them. So he goes up and says, let's make sure that this gospel that I'm winning all these Gentiles with is the same gospel that the apostles are preaching. Okay? So again, he didn't need to confirm his own gospel. He needed to confirm that the other apostles agreed with him and that there was unity. Now, he takes along a man named Titus. Now watch why he does this. Titus is a Greek, which means he's not been circumcised. He's been saved through the gospel of grace by faith alone. So Paul says, okay, this is exhibit A of my gospel. I'm not just going to go to Jerusalem and and give them uh, uh, the words. I'm going to give them a man. I'm going to take a Greek with me, one who has been saved, who who is a brother through faith, who's not been circumcised, and I'm going to take him up there with me, right? And the fact is, what are the apostles going to do? Are they going to force him to be circumcised? I mean, there's no better way, by the way, of forcing the issue than taking somebody with you. Saying, here you go, what are you going to do about it? Right? So it wasn't just this battle of ideas. He wanted the apostles to see this is not just about ideas, it's about people. Here's a person who's been saved. And he's not circumcised. Right? So he figured, let's just force the issue and I'm going to take one of these Greeks up there there with me. Now in verses 3 through 5, he describes his encounter with false brethren while he's there. So when he goes up, he, he meets with the apostles, but he also runs into some of these false brethren. Let's read that. It says, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Now, Paul, he, he includes this little blurb in, the, in here for a reason, right? And he wants to, the Galatian Christians to know that yes, there are false brothers. Yes, they come from Jerusalem. Yes, they insist on circumcision for salvation. But most importantly, they are false brothers and they do not represent the positions of Peter, James, and John. I met them when I was there. And they wanted uh, uh, Titus to be circumcised, and I said no, because they're false brothers, okay? In other words, he wants to make sure the Galatians know that the same false Judaizers that are preaching to you now are the same ones that I met when I went up to Jerusalem. They've always been there, they'll always be there, and you need to be uh, aware of them. So in verse 5, Paul says he didn't submit to them that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Now I want you to... This is a pretty amazing statement he made. Paul says, if I had given in to them and allowed Titus to be circumcised, the gospel would have been destroyed. See what he says? In other words, if I'd have added circumcision to Jesus, the gospel would have been destroyed. Because what we said earlier, you don't add any, you, if you try to add, you take Jesus out of it. Add any kind of works, any kind of merit, any kind of way to earn salvation. Jesus, you say Jesus is not enough and you basically remove him from the equation and the gospel becomes worthless. See, the good news to the world is that right standing before God was totally paid for by the death of Christ and can be enjoyed only through faith in Him. Any requirement that causes us to rely on our work and not Christ's work, that's the end of the gospel. It's over. And Paul says, I would not give in to that to those false brothers. I would not do that so that the gospel might be preserved for you. By the way, preserved for them and also preserved for you and I. 
I mean, we owe Paul and some of those guys a real debt of, of thanks. So what Paul has accomplished in verses 3 through 5 is to show the Galatians who the Judaizers in their midst really are, those false brothers from Jerusalem, and that what is at stake in their demands is the truth of the gospel. Those teachers may come from Jerusalem, but they do not represent the Jerusalem apostles. They are false brothers, and their demands that you be circumcised and keep the feast are a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Now, finally, in the last four verses, 6 through 10, Paul describes his encounter with the apostles. He said this, And from those who seem to be influential, and what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality. Now, one thing about Paul, <laughs> you got to give him credit for. When it came to Peter, James, and John, Paul never bowed his knee to them. I mean, by the way, he, he'd been gone 14 years spending that time with Jesus. To come back to Jerusalem and say, oh, he, watch what he says. He, they seem to be influential. What they were makes no difference to me. I mean, you've got to give him credit. He saw himself, trust me, just as much an apostle as they were. He didn't see himself any different just because they spent three years with Jesus. I mean, you got to, you know, he was, he, he, he understood who he was, and he wasn't uh, hesitant to tell you about it. He says, those I say who seemed influential, and there's those four words, added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcises, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Verse 6 makes the crucial statement that Paul has been maintaining all along. I went to Jerusalem, I met with the apostles, and they added nothing to me. In other words, they added nothing to my gospel. They said, they gave me the right hand of fellowship and they said, yes, Paul, what you have been preaching is the true gospel. Just make sure you remember the poor, which he said that's what I wanted to do um, anyway. But more important, look at verses, uh, the statement of verses 7 through 10. James and Cephas and John gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. This is the unity that Paul had longed for. He understood now he had not run in vain. The Judaizers did not represent the Jerusalem apostles. The apostolic witness, the foundation of the church was not split. It was firm and solid. There was a united front or a united base for two great missions, one to the Jews through Peter and James and John and one to the Gentiles through uh, Paul. By the way, that was a great day, whether you realize it or not, um, for missions and especially for you and I. Uh, Paul stood his ground on that day so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. We sit here today as Gentiles, and, um, and, and we don't have to worry about being circumcised. We don't have to worry about obeying the feast. We don't have to worry about any of that stuff uh, because of what those guys uh, did for us. And so we need, to, we need to remember that. Now, I want to close with this. I said earlier in the lesson that truth matters. And this is especially true when it comes to the gospel, is it not? We, as we said last week, there's a lot of opinions we have that we can disagree on, and that's okay. But when it comes to the, to the, to the um, essential truths of the gospel we cannot disagree that the truth matters I want to close with a story and I want to show you how much truth matters 
And I ran across this this week, and it just made a, an impact on me. The last week of Jesus' life, if you go back and read in Matthew, he's in the temple, and he knows he's going to be dying this, this Friday. I don't remember. This might have been Monday or Tuesday of that week. I don't remember the exact day. But Jesus is in the temple, and it says this, When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. So Jesus is in the temple, and he's teaching. And the elders and the chief priests come up to him and they ask him this question. Watch what they said. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Okay? They, they said, who gave you the authority to be teaching this, this what you're teaching? Who, 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 who gave you the authority? Now, the answer should have been what? He could have easily said, my father. I'm the son. But I want you to watch what he does. Jesus says, all right, tell you what I'll do. I'll ask you a question. And if you answer me that question, if you'll just answer me the question, then I'll tell you, I'll give you the answer that you want. I'll tell you by whose authority I do these things. And I want you to notice what Jesus did. Jesus said, you don't get to just sit on the sidelines and ask the questions. I'm happy to talk about truth, but you've got to come get in the game with me. You see what he did? You notice how many people sometimes want to just, you start talking about deep, by the way, have you ever noticed we don't really talk about deep things in life, do we? How many friends you got and y'all talk about the weather, you talk about fishing, you talk about shopping, you talk about this, you talk, but you don't really talk about deep things, things that really matter. And if you do, by the way, people start asking, well, what about that? Well, what about that? They start throwing out these questions. What about that? Listen, don't, what people want to do is what the Pharisees do. They want to sit on the sidelines and lob questions in. What you've got to do is you've got to pull them in the game and say, okay, I'm happy to talk about this, but you answer the same questions. In other words, let's, let's make truth the essential of the, of the game. Everybody with me? Let's talk about truth. Why do you believe? I believe this because the Bible says it. What do you believe? Why do you believe? What's going to happen to you when you die? Why do you, why do you believe that? You know, I had somebody tell me one time, I just think when they die, nothing happens. I said, well, why do you believe that? What's behind you? Oh, I don't, no, I don't know. I don't know. I just think that. Well, what's the truth? You know, make people get into the arena and talk about truth. It's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus said, you don't get to sit up in the stands and lob questions at me. I'm happy to answer you, but you come in here and you answer a question for me. So he says, I, I'm going to ask you a question, and you tell me the answer. In other words, if you want the truth, then tell me what you believe. Tell me what you think. Okay? Now... This is the question he asked him, by the way. The baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or from man? That's the, that's the question. Now, let's stop here for a second and relate this to the gospel. We started the letter of Galatians by saying that since Paul is a messenger sent by Jesus himself, Paul's words are the very words of Christ, are they not? Okay. So this morning, we, Jesus could just as, as easily be asking you and, I, you and I, the gospel that Paul preaches, is it from heaven or is it from man? See, this is the question that was being asked of the Galatians, right? The gospel that I preach, you've got to decide, Galatian churches, you've got to decide, River of Life, is this gospel from men or is it from God? Is it a man's made-up story or is it the truth? That's the question. And so, you know, that's what Jesus is putting out here. This baptism of John, from God or from man? What's the truth? What do you think? Now... Again, Jesus is asking you and I that question about the gospel as personally as though 
uh, it were just him and us in this room. Now watch what the, the, the Pharisees do. And they discussed it among themselves, saying, Well, if we say from heaven, he's going to say, Well, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from man, then the people are going to rise up against us, because they all thought he was... Do everybody see what they're doing? Is truth even in their thoughts? No. It's not even in their thoughts. Well, if I say... Huh? Political correctness. Political, if I say this, he's going to think this. And if I, truth is not even in the equation. It's completely out of the picture. And Jesus knows that. See, they're not concerned about truth. They're concerned about what are people going to think. How is this going to affect me? In the end, see, it all comes down to whether do you really want to know the truth. Or are you just concerned about how this is going to affect me? See, they didn't care about the truth. And by the way, Jesus, they said to him, we don't know. And Jesus said, well, I'm not going to tell you the truth. You're never going to know the truth because you don't care about it. You don't really want to know it. See, that's the way it is with you and it's the way it is with our friends. If they really want to know the truth, get them into the arena and let's talk about truth. Because if you don't want to know the truth, he's never going to reveal it to you. Because you don't care. Right? The gospel of Jesus, and we should be more concerned about the truth of the gospel than anything else in the world because our eternal destinies um, are at, at stake. Okay? Any? Yes, Ron. I mean, you know, coming back around with this as far as